0: God, we thank you for that this morning. God, that once we've grasped onto your love, Lord, there's no way that we can fly from you. Jesus, help that to be a reassurance this morning, God, that that you hold us in the palm of your hand, Lord, that whatever happens on this earth or in this life, God, that we rest in the palm of your hand. God, that you are a love that will not let us go. We thank you so much for that, Lord, as we trust in you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning once again. Uh, today we are continuing in our teaching series called The Beat- uh, the Beautiful Attitudes, a teaching series through the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is week number four, and today's message is called Poor in Spirit. Poor in Spirit. Um, you may have noticed, um, but we seem to live in a world that is eager to identify to categorize, to sort everyone into groups. And these groups, and these people are sorted into these groups based on labels and based on characteristics. Everybody gets sorted into groups and categories. Think about it, you are white or black. You are citizen or immigrant. You are gay or straight. You are Republican or Democrat. You are privileged or oppressed. You are rich or poor. We have this uh, really stark way of seeing our world. Everybody sorts into one of two primary categories in almost every situation. Tribalism, identity politics, racism, suspicion, ignorance, intersectional thinking. They all converge to reinforce and further ingrain our categorical sorting of every person in the world. Ours is a strange and unfortunate time in human history. One is is rebuked and reviled and rightly so for assuming and acting upon categories, identities, and stereotypes on the front end of the conversation uh, eliciting cries of racism and bigotry But that same person is simultaneously shamed and shunned for not recognizing and revering categories, identities, and stereotypes on the back end of the conversation, eliciting and earning accusations of intolerance, hate, and this or that of phobia. Maybe you feel this too, but it can feel really dicey living in our world today. It can feel really dicey navigating these everyday situations and interactions when you don't feel very up to speed on all the rapidly changing categories on all of our shifting cultural identity norms. We sometimes feel like we're maybe late to the party. We're not uh, familiar with the vocabulary that's uh, being used today. So how do we respond to these unpredictable situations? Well, I've identified three basic ways that people seem to respond to this tension, this uncertainty we feel. Uh, First group is the ones that just become entrenched, they become uh, defiant and just mean. We see those people, they're just like, oh, the world is just dumb, you know, and I'm going to share my opinion regardless of what they think. The second group. rides off on crusades to bring equality uh, to some perceived inequity between selected categories. But then there's this third group (laughs) responding to this tension and uncertainty. There are those who just freeze up. It's kind of like fight, flight, or freeze. (laughs) There's this group that, that given the situation and what we feel in the world, we, we freeze up. We freeze up when we feel stress. We feel like we've suddenly woken up standing in the middle of a social minefield. We don't know which way to step because we don't know at any moment we may just get blown up for what we say or do or don't say or don't do. Why is there so much fear? Because that's what we feel, isn't it? How many here have for a long time now just had this low-grade anxiety about the world? And we can't help but, but spend hours doom-scrolling through the news, uh, worrying, inviting this stuff in to hijack our thoughts and, hi, and send us into just endless hours of ceiling patrol at night when we're not sleeping. We're just laying there like, oh my gosh, is this it? This is how it ends, you know? Anyone else? I mean, I saw some hands. Good. Okay. Good. I mean, it's not good. I mean, it's bad. It's bad that we're feeling this way, but it's there, right? And I think this fear emanates from from the fact that none of us want to be called out. None of us want to be canceled. And heaven forbid, none of us want to be exiled onto the wrong side of history, my favorite saying of all time. I mean, who wants to end up on the wrong side of history after all? But this is the world we live in. This is the world in which we believe that Jesus is still Lord and the Holy Spirit is still at work. This is the the world we live in and this is the very same world into which Jesus' people are commanded to go. This crazy jacked up world is the same world that Jesus has commanded us to go and to be salt and light. And maybe it's more necessary, critical, now than ever. It's into this weird and wonderful world that we have been sent. We've been sent, you and me, we've been sent to be truth-tellers. We've been sent to be hope-bringers. And I tell you what, our world is in desperate need of truth and in desperate need of hope. Sadly, being a Christian itself has become a highly charged category. Is that news to anybody? I mean, being a Christian automatically brings to mind certain negative stereotypes in a lot of people's minds. I mean, let's not even talk about evangelical, right? I mean, talk about, talking about an entire massive group of people as a monolith, as one type of person. That's, that's always wise. But being Christian itself is, is also, has also become a highly charged category, and it is an increasingly negative one once again. Now, this is... Basically, because of two things. One, it's partly because of biblical reasons. The call to follow Jesus is countercultural. We are following in a path that leads us against the grain, it leads us upstream, it leads us in a different direction. Uh, the call to follow Jesus uh, will always bring misunderstanding and will be perceived negatively by some. But the other reason is that uh, it's negative because of our own doing. Guys, we can be really dumb. People who carry the the name Christian or evangelical or whatever into the world that, that claim the name of Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord, they can also be very, very dumb, very, very divisive and hurtful in the world, and we bring it on ourselves. So, what is a follower of Jesus to do? Does anyone ask themselves this question? How do we do this right? How do we hold fast to truth, and how do we honor Jesus, and how do we not be dumb? How do we faithfully follow Jesus Christ into a hostile world in which the loudest quote unquote Christian voices are often the most idiotic? The loudest Christian voices are often the most co-opted by other agendas. Or the loudest Christian voices are often the most unchristian. The ones that are gaining the headlines, you read them and you just facepalm yourself like, no, woe is me. Well, here's some things I know we can't do, or we shouldn't do, we ought not do. We know we can't retreat into isolation. We can't be like the Essenes, uh, choosing to to run into the desert and live a cloistered life in the caves. (laughs) Sounds nice sometimes, though. Maybe no internet connection or cell phone signal would be great for us. Likewise, we can't sit there just taking it in and stewing over it stewing over every slight, getting more and more angry, and having a growing sense of vengeance inside of us like the zealots. We can't can't always be looking for opportunity to rise up and to resort to hostility and violence and to bring the kingdom down by force either. You see, but we feel this tension. We see this tension in Jesus' day, and that same uh, inclination is with us here even now. Here's what we need to do and start here. And I know this is simple and probably unsatisfying, but here's where it starts and continues. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus, believing that He has indeed overcome the world. Do we believe that? Do we live as if we believe that Jesus has overcome the world and He was telling the truth when He told us so? We must believe in His kingdom. We must believe that His kingdom is even now in breaking. Breaking in. His kingdom is even now becoming more and more of a reality in and among and through us. Do you believe that? That to a large degree, we are what God is doing in the world. We are how Jesus is active in the world. We are the ones being sent. We must believe in the already but not yet promise of resurrection. Believe in the already but not yet promise of resurrection and of new creation. We need to be asking Jesus to give us, through His Holy Spirit, an enlivened hopefulness and a renewed sense of His mission. I know some people that really, really love the Lord, but are really, really distracted right now. Really, really sidelined by fear and anxiety and anger. And I think, I mean, it's unusual, it's unique when you can say one simple thing and that's where all truth emanates, but we have to trust in Jesus. We have to come back to this place where we plant our feet firmly in our risen Lord and His promise that He has overcome the world. We need a a healed vision. We need a healed vision, a renewed way of seeing all people, all people as beloved and as pursued by God. Think about your world. Are there people that you struggle to see as beloved and pursued by God? Guys, this categorical sorting thinking in our mind has made it really hard to believe that some people are beloved by God. And are actively pursued by God, just like you were pursued by God. I mean, as I said, I feel conviction in my heart too. It's, I think it's pervasive. We need a healed vision. We should recognize the tension that we encounter in our daily interactions. We should recognize it. We shouldn't deny it or be all Pollyanna like, nope, not here. It's there. We should recognize the tension that we encounter in our daily interactions and we should take that and allow it to serve as a prompting. It should prompt us to pray. It should prompt us to pray. It should prompt us to seek God's perspective and it should prompt us to be vigilant in our gospel hope. With missionary eyes and ears and and missionary hearts, we go out into the world working for unity, working to foster mutual care and respect, recognizing our shared humanity and our shared need for healing in the power of Christ's resurrection. How motivated are you by the power of Christ's resurrection? Because it's indeed that same power with which we are sent out into the world. Allowing God to give us missionary eyes, ears, and hearts, it begins as an interior work. There's, not a, there's, there's no amount of stuff you can do out there to change what's going on inside of here. Allowing God to give us missionary eyes, ears, and a, and a missionary heart, it begins as an interior work. It starts in our approach to Him and to His revealed will. That which God has revealed to us about what He desires and what He is doing, His will. Now, this primarily is initiated by consistent engagement with Scripture. Engagement with the Bible, with Scripture. We need to be aware of our deep seated biases, of our preconceptions when we approach the Bible. We don't show up to the pages of Scripture as a clean slate. We're carrying with us preconceptions and biases, so we need to be careful and aware of those things. Like Christ's followers throughout history, we live in a culture that seeks to indoctrinate us. We live in a culture that seeks to influence our thinking about the world and about others. So this is where I believe John's guidance in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, to be in the world but not of it, is helpful in framing our thinking and our engagement with this idea. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2:15 through 17 Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We are to be in the world, but not love it. Has anyone ever wrestled with this passage? What does that mean? To be in the world, but not love it. I think it means to not be tangled up in its affairs. To be tangled up in its affairs to the point where it hijacks our emotions, where it steals our joy, and it distracts our worship. We know when we cross that line, when our uh, entanglement with the world's affairs starts to hijack our worship, starts to steal our attention away from Christ and His work in the world. So be in the world, but not of the world. Now, likewise, we can look to Paul, the Apostle Paul as well, and we'd do well to recall Paul's wisdom that he shares with us in Romans chapter 12 about being vigilant in not conforming to the world's thinking. Uh, You can flip to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, Verses 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We are to submit our minds to God in order that they might be transformed and renewed. And as a result of that, we gain a better understanding. We are better enabled to know God's good, His pleasing and perfect will. And at root, anyone who's following Jesus, I think that's a, a, a core desire of ours. We want to know God's will. I mean, if there's a way for you to be uh, given God to, uh, insight into knowing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, wouldn't you take it? Well, it comes through the, trans- the transforming, the renewing of our mind, and that comes through uh, sitting with Scripture, making ourselves available to the work of God in our life, so that our mind might be renewed and transformed, which tells me there's a way that living in our world uh, does the opposite of that creating a need for our mind to be transformed and renewed right we get sucked in we get distracted so we come to the scripture we come to the Holy Spirit and say God renew my mind transform what's truest about me in light of your word lastly we need to hear Jesus's prayer for us isn't this amazing in in the gospel of John there's a whole extended passage where Jesus prays and he prays for us our Savior opens His mouth and prays for you and He prays for me. We need to hear Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 in which He asks God to keep us safe and to keep us sanctified by the truth of His Word. If you'll turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. And this is Jesus speaking. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them, Father, out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do, but make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. They were made holy by his truth. So what does all this have to do with the sermon on the mount? <laughs> it's like, wow, Adam, he really took the scenic route <laughs> to getting to the sermon on the mount this morning. Yes, I did. Does this have anything to do with the Beatitudes, with the Sermon on the Mount? Well, this extent, the intent of this extended preamble or introduction to today's message, it's to better prepare us to hear Jesus' teaching. To better prepare us to, to hear Jesus' teaching about what it means to be truly blessed in a fallen world. What it means to be truly blessed in a fallen world. If we aren't careful, Jesus' words can be skewed. We can hear... Uh, Jesus' words, and they can be kind of skewed by our unconscious assumptions, by our cultural biases, and by the political buzzwords that are flying around. Presently, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and recognize the various and maybe unhelpful ways that we tend to interpret the poor. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 1 through 3. One day, As Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Automatically, many will think of the poor as a certain category. The poor, of course, they are the ones living in poverty. Perhaps uh, the poor, they are those who are oppressed by wealthy elite. They are the ones victimized by systematic greed or economic inequality. Of course, that's what you mean when you say poor. But is that what Jesus had in mind in this passage? Is that what Jesus had in mind when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. As usual, Jesus is doing a little bit of both here. Jesus is speaking to his listeners' temporal reality, but also to the eternal reality of all those who trust in him. All those who choose, who desire to shape their life around his way. Indeed, were there, were there poor people... Economically poor and disadvantaged people in Jesus' audience? Well, yeah, absolutely. Many followers of Christ were poor. Many more followers of Christ would become poor because of their decision to follow Jesus. So there were poor in the crowd. But being poor is neither a requirement for discipleship, nor is it a qualification for entrance into the kingdom. Okay, we have to kind of walk this fine line here. Being poor does not give you an advantage in righteousness or holiness or entrance into Jesus' kingdom, okay? Although there were poor there. Uh, Here's a quote from the uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary, which I used to help put this message together. Uh, There's a quote that really jumped out at me. It said, biblical balance is easy to prostitute. Zoinks. Yeah, catch your attention too, right? Biblical balance is easy to prostitute. The emperor, Julian the Apostate, from, who re- ruled from 332 to 363, is reputed, reputed to have said with vicious irony that he wanted to confiscate Christians' property so they might all become poor and enter the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, the wealthy too easily dismiss Jesus' teaching about poverty here and elsewhere as merely attitudinal and confuse their hoarding with good stewardship. Poverty is neither a blessing nor a guarantee of spiritual rewards. However, it can be turned to advantage if it fosters humility before God. Humility before God. Hold on to that phrase because that's key. Rich or poor, it's about whether or not you're humble before God. Truly, from God's perspective, guys, I hate to burst the bubble, but guys, from God's perspective, all of us are poor. We are all poor in God's perspective. We are all living in squalid spiritual poverty, finding even our most righteous deeds to be filthy rags before His holiness. The best, most sophisticated and open-minded things we can possibly do? Filthy rags. That's as good as it gets in light of God's holiness. Look at Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 through 6. Isaiah 64, 5 through 6. God, you welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So we're all starting from the same place in light of God's holiness. We are all poor. We're all living in spiritual poverty. Thus, there is a an important distinction and difference between being simply poor and being poor in spirit. Okay, I hope this is helpful. I mean. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. That has very little spiritual bearing. It's how you live in relation to that. Humility. Humility before God is really key. Humility before God is really the key. A willingness to abandon hope in earning favor with God by our own ability by gaining favor uh, with God through our social standing, through our particular category or status. The commentary goes on to say, to be poor in spirit is not to lack courage, but to acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy. That when we come to God, we have this this acknowledgement that I am bankrupt. I bring nothing to this equation. All I bring is a need. We're all spiritually bankrupt. It confesses one's unworthiness before God and utter dependence upon Him. Commentary goes on to say, "...the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. It is they who enjoy Messiah's reign and the blessings He brings. They joyfully accept His rule and participate in the life of the kingdom." Man, we need to hear this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you hear "poor in spirit," may we also hear humility before God. Nothing about nothing that I own or possess defines who I am. None of that stuff uh, merits anything before God. All it is is a all that brings me close to God is faith in Jesus Christ through an acceptance of my my hum, my, my unworthiness, my spiritual bankruptcy, my needing to be saved. These are the only things that matter. God blesses those who are spiritually poor. God blesses those who realize their need for Him. Rich or poor, gay or straight, male or female, right or left, red or yellow, black or white, we are all poor in God's sight. And ours is to recognize our depravity and our deep, abiding need for His grace today and every day. Let's pray. Father, call us back to that place away from the noise where we can uh, recenter our hearts in you. God, I pray that we would not uh, just feel this, this crushing, demeaning sense of our unworthiness, but we would, also, we would actually handle that rightly and let that motivate us to come once again to Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived among us, who died for us and rose as the firstborn among many. Lord, it's only through Jesus and the power of His resurrection that any of us go into the world with any sense of salvation, of any sense of worthiness. So, God, I pray that as Christ followers, that we would be quick to return to the place of our identity in Christ alone, that we would place our trust in Him, our faith in Him, that we would hold fast to His finished work of atonement on the cross and in the empty tomb. Lord, I don't know, but this convicts me, this message, and I know it may convict others in this room. But God, we can become so busy and expend so much energy, time, and resources on, on, on uh, issues in the world, on, on things in the world, uh, symbols of injustice, uh, situations where people are not treated uh, with dignity. And God, we should be fighting uh, for justice. We should be fighting for equity and dignity. But God, may we always plant our feet first and firmly in Christ. May we go forward with a a centering sense of that resurrection power. God, you've sent us into the world to be salt and to be light, to have missionary eyes, ears, and hearts. But God, we know it begins with a healed vision. A healed vision of who you are and a healed vision of, of who we are and why we're here. So God, I pray that you'd do a renewing and transforming work in our hearts and our minds. That God would be glorified uh, through all of our interactions, whether that's on social media or it's, it's face-to-face. God, the, the work you've called us to seems to be never-ending. It seems to be an uphill battle. But God, I pray that you'd help make us aware of the ways that we've made that job even harder. God, we all have a propensity to take matters into our own hands and to, and to be uh, kind of ugly in the world, to act kind of dumb, to bring ill repute, disrepute upon your name. But God, in our own little world, in our own little way, I pray that when people hear that the, that the Christ followers are here, that with that they would understand that with them has come truth and with them has come hope. God, do a work. And I pray that that work would start in my heart, in the heart of my friends, and in our little church. And God, may you be glorified in that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's um, a couple of quick announcements before we enjoy this beautiful day. Man, that temperature yesterday. Holy moly. How great was that? God is good. <laughs> Whoo. Students, anything for tonight? Um, Curtis and Kendi? James, awesome. Cool. Do I need to bring anything? No. We'll have snacks and stuff. Awesome. Okay. Uh, back at the back there is the uh, Hope and Anchor t-shirts. Uh, if you are interested in getting a Hope and Anchor t-shirt, you can talk to my wife Christy and she'll tell you the details. Guys, get super excited about this. I've been like bursting at the seams all week to tell you. September 6th, Labor Day weekend, we are having the first ever Yurt Church. We're not going to meet here that Sunday. Instead, we're going to meet down in Reed Springs at the Francis' Yurts for church. We're going to go down there, and we're going to do kind of a a 5 by 15 type thing where uh, between now and then you can sign up to play a song, read a poem, do an interpretive dance, whatever. We're going to spend time just enjoying uh, the talent that God's placed in our fellowship. Uh, Then we're going to have a, a time in the Word. We're going to have food, which I'm, there's more to come on that. We don't know if we're going to make like a giant pot of chili or something, or if we're just going to invite everyone to bring their own lunch. But we're going to have a big fire going for s'mores and stuff like that. Uh, Amanda wanted me to point out that uh, you are welcome to come and camp. You can come down and camp Saturday, Sunday, all through the weekend if you want, down there at the yurts. How many have been to the yurts before? Yeah, pretty cool place. Really strange, really small doors into the yurts. I'm not sure what that's up with a six-foot-three guy, but... It's really neat so you're at church mark your calendar you're at church september 6th we'll meet down there at 10 a.m and just spend the day stay as long as you'd like uh more info to come on that but the 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 thing of key importance is that we will not meet here that day so we're going to spend the next month trying to get the word out to everybody that it's either a day to take because it's labor day weekend it would be small crowd anyway But that's a good weekend to just get some rest, whether that's with us as a church family at the yurts or with your family and friends or just by yourself in the woods. That's fine. Uh, It's just that uh, it's been a stressful year, and uh, we could use a change of pace, right? Um, And so Yurt Church, September 6th. Any questions about Yurt Church? (laughs) Just a good name. Curtis? Yeah, it's right at 50, 50 minutes from here. It's a little under an hour of a drive, but it's really kind of cool. Uh, we were down there last weekend, and it was it was cool. So uh, anyway, I hope you can join us. Any any announcements I missed? We're still praying at 10 on Sunday morning. Yes, 10 o'clock, right before worship. We have prayer time in the conference room. Uh, join the Joneses and Ruth and whoever else. So this is a time to just prepare your hearts, but also our hearts together uh, in prayer. So hope you'll join us with that. Anything else? All right, well, let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church, and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks everyone. Have a good afternoon. You yeah. yeah. okay.